0: I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter number 19. I want to say I am especially excited about preaching this message here this morning. I've enjoyed the studying. I've enjoyed all of the different thoughts. I must confess to you. Actually, I have two confessions this morning. Uh, number one, I found it even more difficult than usual to... Um, to skip over some passages of Scripture, because it seems like there are so many things about today's subject that are rich and meaningful and powerful, and I just found that there is no way that I can cover, even scratch the surface of this subject today. But my second confession is, and I'm not being Catholic and confessing my sins to you, but I do have a sincere fault that I want to publicly confess here this morning. As I prepared this message and after I kind of finished it, uh, it seemed like the Holy Spirit began to convict me because I became very aware of the fact that today's message is, as we will see, not only a main theme of the Bible, but I have to say it is the main theme of the Bible. And I was convicted because, to my knowledge, while I have certainly from time to time made reference to what we're going to talk about today, to my knowledge, this is the very first message in over 35 years of ministry that I've preached on this subject. I probably preached 40, 50 messages about America i probably preached hundreds of messages on the home and the church, but sadly, and I say this with sorrow in my heart and with confession in my mind, is that this is the first time that i preached on this particular topic, and I really think that, especially in the day and age that we live in, that this will not just be the first and the last time that I preach on this, but I think that probably... There's going to be more to come of, on this particular topic here today. The Edge Pieces of Dispensational Salvation. Revelation 19 and verse number 11, And I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Skip over to chapter 20 of Revelation and look with me at verse number 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and watch these next four words, and shut him up. Can I get an amen on that? Aren't you looking forward to the time when our adversary, the one that wants to destroy us, the one who has caused us so much pain and grief and sorrow, he's going to be bound for a thousand years and God is going to shut him up. Boy, that ought to put chills up your spine and the back of your neck as we rejoice that the enemy is going to be bound and going to be leaving us alone, praise the Lord. I am so looking forward to not having him bother me for a while. And then verse number 3, and cast him, excuse me, the the rest of verse number 3, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, Till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither, excuse me, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I want to speak to you here on our edge pieces of dispensational salvation. This is lesson number four, the blessings of the millennium. Let's bow and ask the Lord to bless this time together. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. And thank you for what we've already felt and experienced here today the truths that we have sang about, your salvation, the security that we have in you, how you've changed our lives, and God, you've done so much for us. And truly, you are worthy of all glory and praise. And God, may our hearts uh, be drawn closer to you today. Lord, as we take a look at this great thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on planet Earth Lord, we look forward to that with joy and anticipation, and Lord, certainly in this day and age and the things that we've experienced this past year, the things that we're going to be having to put up with here in the years to come, Lord, things that are going in the wrong direction here in our country and certainly all across the globe, we look forward to the time when, Lord, you're coming back, setting foot on planet earth and setting up your kingdom. God, everything's going to be made right and Lord, we look forward to that, but not only just things being made right, but Lord Jesus, when we think about what you endured on the cross, how you despised the shame, how you could have easily rescued yourself, you could have called those angels, Lord, and I don't even believe you needed the angels, you just had to speak the word. But Lord, you laid down your life for us, for our sins. And God, one of these days, you're going to get the glory that you deserve. The devil's had his days, but Lord, you're going to have your day. And we rejoice in that hope. We rejoice in uh, these truths. And we pray now that you would draw us now closer to the truth of your word. May the Holy Spirit of God work in our hearts and lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The millennium is the kingdom of heaven. When you read about the kingdom of heaven, particularly in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven is not a reference to heaven where God is and where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father at this present moment. The kingdom of heaven is when heaven comes down to this earth and begins to rule and to reign. And I want to say, first of all, right out of the gate that the kingdom is all about the King. This is the main theme of the Bible. I mean, all throughout the Bible, when you read the book of Psalms, and you read Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Revelation, and Daniel, and even the Gospels, you know, it is not about us and our salvation. We are recipients of God's grace and God's blessings. Thank God that we get in on those blessings, but we and our salvation is not the central theme of this book. The central theme is the king and him coming back to restore what Adam, the monarch that God created and put over this earth, what he lost when he sinned against a holy God. Jesus Christ is the king and the kingdom is all about the king. Zechariah 14 and verse number 9 says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. In our opening text in Revelation 19, we saw some things that are wonderful about our king. In verse number 11 of Revelation 19, and you can certainly look and follow along, in verse number 11 it says that he is faithful and true. What a blessing that we have a savior that is faithful and true. We find also in verse number 11 that our king is going to judge And make war in righteousness. He came the first time as a little lamb in a manger. But the second time he is coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And it is going to be a terrible sight. And it is going to be a time when he is going to judge. And he is going to make war. Jeremiah 23. Verse number 5 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Boy, not a whole lot of that going on in our time. Amen? Don't you wish there was more justice and judgment? He's going to make it all right. He's going to fix everything that our current president messes up. And no offense, but our past president, what he messed up. He wasn't perfect, Christian. Hate to burst your bubble. No man and no president is perfect. They're just sinners, and they have great power to affect our lives, and that's why we pray for them. And by the way, let me just pause here just for a moment and give you a biblical perspective on the current president that we have. Look, if you're a Bible-believing Christian... Then, uh, probably, more than likely, if you really believe this book, you probably didn't vote for our current president. If you did, you need to start reading this book instead of listening to the media. So you probably didn't vote for him. But let me tell you something. Don't be, don't get caught up in the devil's trap and start saying, well, he's not my president. Just because you didn't vote for him, he is still the president of the United States. And even though I don't even like preaching this, the book says that we're supposed to pray for him, and the book says that we're supposed to honor the king out of fear for God. We're not supposed to say snide remarks and things. Look, especially publicly. Now we have our opinions and we have our rights to our opinions, but don't be un like and un-Christian and start acting like a bunch of heathens do because we didn't get our way. That doesn't help anyone, folks. If you can't respect the man, at least respect the office because this book here says that as born-again believers, we're supposed to do that because after all, we're just pilgrims passing through hey, I've got a citizenship that's in heaven. And I don't care what happens in Washington, D.C. My king, my president, if you want to call him that, is unchangeable, and he is righteous, and he is holy. We need to look past the politics, and we need to always keep our eyes on our Savior. This says here he's going to execute judgment and justice in All the earth, in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. Listen, we ought to be concerned about Israel. We ought to pray that our current president and his regime, that if they don't do anything right, they better stick with Israel. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called. Notice the all caps. I mean, this is the Scripture's way of highlighting, of showing us what is really important. The Lord, our righteousness. I like that, don't you? He is our righteousness. We find also that our king will be terrifying and mysterious. In verse number 12, his eyes are as a flame of fire. Oh, listen, we're not going to refer to him as the man upstairs, He's going to be terrifying. I thought it was so disrespectful during last year's vice presidential debate when our current vice president kept referring to our president as Joe. Yeah, me and Joe. He wasn't our president at the time, but he was still uh, someone who had held office in this land. Amen? Amen? Listen, I I think that this generation, and listen, all of you that are millennials and younger, uh, you have been told that all of the old fogies and the formalism is not righteous. That we need to be real and we need to be casual. And you know, we got pastors all over this country that just people just call them by their first name. I don't think that's good or helpful. I think it should be brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. I think that it should be pastor so-and-so. Or, uh, you know, if you want to be casual and affectionate, uh, I'm perfectly fine with somebody calling me preacher. Because that's something that um, I'm not proud of, but I'm very honored that God would call me to preach His wonderful Word. And I think that the position is always a place of honor. And it's a place of fear and respect and accountability. And it's something that uh, every man that stands behind a pulpit today ought to stand behind that pulpit trembling because of the holiness of God's Word. It's not a casual thing. Treat people with authority. God-ordained authority with the respect that God would have us to. This casual Christianity is not helpful for anyone. It has lowered the bar. And we need to make sure that it is not our job to bring God down to our level. It is our responsibility to try to get us up to His level. You can't do it on our own, but God will help us. Thank God for that sanctifying process that comes from the Lord, our righteousness. His name, verse number 13, is the Word of God. Let me tell you something. On Wednesday nights, we're giving just a little lesson here and there on the apologetics of this King James version of the Bible. Someone asked me a question here recently that uh, wasn't in our church and they say, they asked me a, a question about a verse. What does this particular phrase mean? And it didn't ring a bell to me. And then it dawned on me, oh, I see this is a different Bible version of something that I was familiar with and they changed the words. How do you answer that? What does this mean other than just saying, well, I hate to break it to you. Don't worry about it because that ain't the right word. And if I told you what it meant, it's not what it's supposed to mean. And so, you know, you hate to be nitpicky. I don't want to discourage people. But the most important thing is to know that we have the words of God. Hey, how would you feel if I got up here and started telling you things about Jesus that weren't true? <laughs> kind of like the average pulpit in America today. <laughs> you know, they, they, they talk about preachers that preach against sin as being unchristlike. I mean, they, they talk about all kinds of things. Well, if you're being judgmental, that's not Christlike. Have you read about the Jesus of the Bible? <laughs> according to modern definition Jesus was very unchristlike <laughs> listen um i had a point there and i lost it i'll get back to it here hate it when i do that oh the word of god you wouldn't you wouldn't be um if i got up here and started telling you things about Jesus that weren't true you would be offended because he's your savior, amen? Why is it that people all over the world put up with changing the word of God when Jesus' name is the word of God? We find in verse number 15 that he has a sharp sword coming out of his mouth to smite the nations. Verse 15, it says he will rule with a rod of iron. I don't know about you, but that phrase, rod of iron, that tells me that he's going to be strong in his leadership, righteous, holy. Listen, we have a righteous and a holy God that we serve. Yes, he's merciful. Thank God that he's merciful. You know what? You may have sin in your life that's hidden and nobody knows about it except for you and God. And you may think that, well, it must not be that big of a deal because God hasn't struck me with lightning yet. Hey, do not presume upon the mercy and goodness of God. Doesn't mean that our sin is not sickening Him and angering Him. many cases, He is angry and He is ready to judge us. I am amazed at the things that Christians do today. And they don't fear that God would drop the hammer on them. Listen, God is a God of judgment. He is a God to be feared. But thank God, and i got to say personally, I'm so glad He was merciful and patient and kind with me. But I also know that there came a time when I knew in my heart of hearts the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart so crystal clearly that day. And He said, Son... You better get right, or, and that shook me, that literally, just like Belshazzar, made my knees tremble, as I thought, what God, what are you going to do to me, and he was just silent, as if God was saying, that's all you need to know. And it shook me to my soul. And thank God, by the grace of God, I got right with him. I cannot even imagine what would have happened to me if I hadn't have got right with God when I did. And listen, you may think that you're getting away with your sin because God is being merciful. But that day is coming, brother and sister. That day is coming. He's a fearful God. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. And in verse 16, he is king of kings and lord of lords. Isn't that a joy to be able to say that? Would you say it out loud with me? King of kings and lord of lords. Doesn't that feel good to say that? Let's do it again. King of kings and lord of lords. That's our savior that's coming back on that white horse. What a blessing. Daniel chapter number 7 that which shall not be destroyed. You know what his kingdom is? His kingdom is that stone cut out of the mountain without hands, that that stone comes and smites all of the Gentile nations that came before. When Jesus comes back, the times of the Gentiles, they are over, folks. And it's not going to matter what the Gentile nations can do because Jesus is going to rule over them all, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. As we continue talking about the blessings of the millennium, the next thing just briefly I want to say is what exactly does the word millennium mean? Millennium means a period of 1,000 years. It's quite simple. Now there are people who don't understand their Bible correctly that say that this millennium is just something that happens spiritually in our hearts. But folks, nothing could be further from the truth. The millennium, this thousand-year rule of Christ here on this earth is a literal prophecy. There are just many, many people, Baptists including, that are just confused. Why? Because they don't even have the edge pieces of dispensational salvation. They have not been taught to rightly divide the word of truth. Millennials we talk about people that are born between 1981 and 1996 we refer to them as millennials why because they are the ones that have become the influential generation in the early 2000s they have grown up and that younger generation is always the most energetic and the most influential and so when this millennium started this two, this 1000 year period I should say The people born between 81 and 96 are the influential generation. That's where we get that term from. When will the millennium take place? I'm kind of curious about that, aren't you? I think that's probably one thing that I know from me personally that the past four or five lessons that we preached on Sunday morning, it has got me focusing on the tribulation period. It's got me focusing on the fact that the rapture is getting nearer and nearer and nearer, and I like that, don't you? I haven't been this mindful of the rapture since the 80s. I mean, when I got right with the Lord, I was just so sure that Jesus was coming back back then. And I had, you know, people wrote books, and people tried to predict the day, and it was just all over Christianity, and all that did, sadly, is it discouraged me. And the devil used that. And I believe the devil has used that in many of your minds and hearts as well. Well, I've been hearing that. Brother Lonnie talked about that for years, that Jesus is coming back soon. Brother Mac talked about it. And here's Brother Randy. He's talking about the same thing, but it ain't happened yet. So let's just eat, eat drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, no, no. It could happen. It could happen today. When will the millennium take place? Let me give you a little food for thought real quickly, and I don't have time to elaborate on this, just food for thought. Do you know that the Bible says that a day with the Lord is as? As a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. Do you know that God does things in sevens? You think about the first thing that God ever did, as far as we're concerned, is He created, in Genesis chapter number one, He created this entire uh, creation, that sounds redundant, uh, He created it in six days. And on the seventh day, what did He do? He rested. How interesting is that? We find a number of times in the book of Hebrews that the millennium, or the kingdom of heaven, is referred to as a rest, laboring to enter into that rest. We find that the Sabbath, that seventh day, is a day of rest. You know, here's another thing. That there have been approximately 6,000 years of provable human history. I'm not talking about Cro-Magnon man that lived 7 million billion years ago, allegedly. I'm not talking about fairy tales. I'm not talking about oppositions of science falsely so-called today. I'm talking about provable human history. There have been about 6,000 years of it that we know of. And according to this book right here, that's all there is. You're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to, am I going to choose to believe what scientists tell me or am I going to choose to believe what God tells me? Well, scientists, they have the facts. (laughs) Wow, you like those fairy tales, don't you? Long, long ago and far, far away, there was a big bang. And something came from nothing out of that bang. And that something was just a couple little cells. And those cells that banged out of nothing, all of a sudden they start becoming complex cells. We don't know how that this happened. We just know that it did. That's your science, folks. And so there are 6,000 years of provable human history. And we know that the millennium will follow the tribulation period. And the bottom line is this. And I challenge anyone to find anywhere in this book right here that says otherwise. And that is this, that every prophetic sign in the Bible tells us that this could happen, the rapture, and then the tribulation, followed by the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, everything that needs to happen, has happened, it could happen any, any second. Forget about 2021. Forget about, what's the day, the 24th? Forget about January 25th. How about any second? That's when it could happen. And there's nothing holding that back. We ought to be really, really aware of the fact that we better start making our life count and we better start putting away the strange gods. We better start putting that sin out of our life and we better prepare to meet our God because we're going to meet Him someday really, really soon. And by the way, when the trumpet sounds, there is no... Oh, 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 oh wait. wait. Wait wait, just a minute. Here, here this morning... Uh, um, we were. I was almost making my wife late here this morning. Imagine that! What an irony! And she's like rushing me. It's like, come on, I gotta be. There. I gotta be there at a certain time. And it's like, hey, we got. I think we can make it here. But you know what? There are times when we got things going on pressuring us and we're just not quite ready. Oh, I just gotta do this one more thing. Hey, hey, just wait up. We can make up for that time. When the trumpet sounds, there's not gonna be any second chances for any of us. Oh, oh, give me just a minute, God. I, I need to get on my knees and repent and ask you to forgive me. Oh, just a minute, God. I gotta get something out of, uh, out of my closet. Oh, God, give me just a second. I gotta get something out of my refrigerator. You following me, folks? There's not going to be any time for that. When the trumpet sounds, if you're saved, you're going up. And and listen, no matter what you claim or what you say, I don't care if you pass every religious test and you memorize this Bible forwards and backwards, if you ain't born again, you ain't going up. You better make sure, like Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Could happen any minute. That's when it's going to take place. And so what will the millennium be like? And this is the last section of our message here today. I've got quite a few points under this, but I'll try to go quickly. But this is some wonderful stuff, folks. This thousand year is going to be like nothing that we can even imagine here on planet earth. We've had some good years and we've had some bad years. We've had some years of prosperity and we've had some years of famine. We've had times when we've had depression. We've had times when we've had just a thriving economy. Times when our stocks are low. Times when our mutual funds are high. And everything in between. But nothing can compare to what it's going to be like on planet earth during this 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the millennium, that it will have a constitution? Yeah. There will be a constitution for the millennium. We call it the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you ever scratched your head when you read that Sermon on the Mount and you think, wait a minute, that sounds kind of like works. you ever thought about that? That Jesus is just, it, it almost sounds conditional upon our behavior. Well, that doesn't contradict what Paul wrote to us. It's just talking about something different. Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And listen, I'm not saying that we take the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount and we say, ah, that's for the millennium. No way, Jose. It's still wonderful truth and it still tells us the kind of Christ-like righteous character that we ought to have, but it's just not our constitution. It is not our, uh, it is not doctrinally to us. Much practical application for the church age, but doctrinally it is the kingdom. Secondly, I see here that Israel will be the chief nation by the way, this is the time of the new covenant with Israel. When you see that term new covenant in the book of Hebrews, it's not talking about the New Testament. It's talking about a new covenant that God has made specifically with Israel and Judah. And so we get confused if we take our Bible literally and we apply that new covenant as if it's to the church. It is an agreement that God made to Israel And it will not come into force until Israel holds up their end of the bargain. Because that's what a covenant is. It's an agreement between two or more parties. A testament is not an agreement. It's just a bestowing of blessings upon one's death. And that's why as the church age, we get in on the blessings of the New Testament. Everything that's in the cross, we get in on it. But God's got something else going on between him and Israel and that's a covenant. And that is a kingdom in which they are going to be the chief nation. Isaiah 60, verse number 11. Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night. If you've ever been to Israel, there are gates and fences all over the place today. They have, I mean, you talk about, do you know that if you are an Israelite, if you're born in Israel, when you're 18 years old and you graduate from high school, everyone, male and female, has to go and be trained to be a Minuteman militia? I've been told, I don't know if this is true, but everyone that has graduated high school basically has been issued an M16 and they have one in their home and they have all of their uniform and their gear and they are ready to be called up at a moment's notice. They live in that kind of fear because they are surrounded by enemies. But when this millennium takes, uh, when it begins, there's going to be no gates shut by day or by night that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles and that their kings may be brought for the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Listen, God is going to have... Christ is going to have a judgment of nations, the sheep nations and the goat nations. By the way, those sheep and goat, that's not talking about us. And when you read that, you just go, wait a minute, that just, that just doesn't make sense with, with what Paul said about being saved, about being regenerated. It's because it's talking about something different. We find that in the millennium, in the kingdom, there's going to be long lifespans you know, this is going to be a wonderful thing. How many of you have ever had to bury someone that was very dear to your heart? Raise your hand. I don't have to tell you how that you still, when you think about that person, your heart is just gripped with grief and loss. It's something that you just hardly ever get over. Last night at men's prayer meeting, I came into the auditorium. I'm up here toward the front, and this is this is I love praying in the dark in this auditorium on a Saturday night. And I'm praying and I'm thanking God for my mom and my dad. Listen, I I, I came I grew up in a very imperfect Christian home, but I grew up in a home that was better than I deserved. And I'm telling you, I am so glad that God allowed me to be placed, to be born into a Christian home where I heard about Jesus Christ. Listen, you teenagers you got imperfect parents, and as you get older, you're you're going to become more and more aware of that. But if your parents know Jesus Christ, and they love the Lord, and they're trying their best to raise you to know Jesus Christ and to be saved, listen, you ought to start overlooking some of their faults and failures, and you ought to get on your knees and say, thank you, God, because it could have been way worse. You could have been born in a Muslim home, and you could be on your way to hell today. God is so God is so good to me to let me have my mom and dad as parents and I think about I was thinking last night about how my dad got right with God when I was still a young boy I was thinking about how he surrendered to be a preacher of the gospel and I think about how my mom when uh, one time when she was just so burdened with raising kids for, for God. And you know, she didn't have a Christian home that she grew up in. And she said, God, I don't know how to raise my kids. And she claimed a verse out of the old Testament where it says, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. I understand that's a new covenant verse doctrinally, but my mom, that verse meant something to her and she cried out in her heart to God, God, let my children take care of my kids because I can't do it. I don't know how. And I look at my family and I think about how that God honored that prayer. And that wasn't an, oh, by the way, prayer. That was a prayer with tears. And God honored it and blessed it. And all of my family Are saved and in a Bible believing church. And I just scratch my head and I got how, I think, God, how could I ever be critical? Because God, you have blessed me so much. And I say, God, I don't know if this is possible. I don't even know if it's something that would be welcome. But God, Lord, if you would just tell my mom and dad, That I said hi and I love them and I miss them. Now I certainly don't want to, I wouldn't want them reminded of me and, and, and burst their bubble of looking at the, you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping Him. It's like, Lord, don't remind them of me if it would, (laughs) if it would cause them to lose that joy and that awe of being in your presence. But Lord, thank you for giving me my mom and dad, and just tell them I love them and miss them. We'll find out one of these days if that was a prayer that was according to the will of God, but it meant something to me last night because I was so reminded of how God had blessed me far greater than I could ever deserve. God has been so good to us, folks. We, we, we lose loved ones, and we grieve, and we hurt, and that pain, But in the millennium, listen, look at this in Isaiah 65, in verse number 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. Hey, how about that? If you live to be a hundred years old in the millennium, you're still just a child. I think there's probably going to be people that are going to live as long as Adam and Methuselah lived. Maybe even longer than that, that God doesn't tell us. But can you imagine those long lifespans? What a joy it's going to be to not have to bury all of these loved ones. Wow, I just can't imagine how wonderful that that's going to be. Every funeral that I go to and every time I see somebody hurting and grieving, I think, God, death is just not right. It's not the way that it was supposed to be. God, I'm looking forward to that day. When it no longer is. I read in the word of God that the millennium's going to be characterized by universal peace and safety. You know all this talk about unity. Doesn't it just make you want to puke sometimes? <laughs> Not that I'm against unity. I just don't like other people's definition of unity. It's like we need unity in this country. You, everybody needs to be just like me. And then we'll have unity. No, we'll have unity and peace, but we'll have it with truth and righteousness. Amen. Zechariah 8, verse number 4, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. You know, it it was probably... I grew up in the 70s, and I remember getting on my bike. We lived we lived in the country on the outskirts of town. I remember as a third grader getting on my bike and riding into town by myself or with a couple of uh, neighbor kids that were my same age, and we didn't worry about getting kidnapped. We didn't worry about somebody grabbing us and uh, horrible things happening to us. It never even entered our mind. Now, maybe it should have, because there were some things going on. Idaho is kind of little, I mean, back then, Idaho was about 10 years behind the rest of the country. I, I like that about my childhood, by the way. I wish we could go back to those days. Amen? May you let your children play in the streets today. You're a fool. You let your children run loose, and don't watch them, and don't keep track of them. You're a fool today because there are bad, evil, wicked perverts out there. You can't take your eyes off of your kids today. And that's a sad, sad thing. But when Jesus comes back, there's going to be streets in the city full of boys and girls playing. Isn't that going to be a blessing? We're going to have extended growing seasons. In Amos chapter number 9, verse 13, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. And I'm not going to read the rest of the, the passage, but read it on your own time. It's going to talk about how the, this whole earth, the growing seasons, and I mean, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden practically on all of planet earth. But well, there's some places on planet earth where you can grow stuff better than others. Hey, we got a beautiful place here in North Carolina. I Sometimes I drive around and I see all of the green and the trees. And I grew up in high desert country with sagebrush and flat land. And it had its own beauty. The sky was beautiful out west. But here the landscape is just gorgeous. This is no knock on our area, but you know, you realize that it's hard to grow stuff in this clay soil here in North Carolina. I mean, it takes a lot of effort. I found that out. I mean, the soil and the conditions are different than where I came from. And um, up until this past year, when my my wife and daughter, they got the idea, we're going to have a garden this year, you know, in case the end of the world comes. We want to at least have some food. Now, I mean, the reality of it is, is our garden was big enough that it might have, we might have survived three and a half days. (laughs) But I guess the beauty of it is, is we wouldn't have too much food on stock, and then nobody would come and kill us for our food. (laughs) But, you know, you think about it, what, what could happen? So we grew a garden and, and you know, they, we, we brought in soil. We had to buy soil. And you know, we, we had vegetables that, uh, were, were very good and we enjoyed the process. But the money we put into that garden, we could probably, we could probably fill our whole garage with produce. <laughs> but it was fun. But we had to buy soil and bring it in. And some of you, some of you guys that have had gardens and you farm and you know that you gotta always be doing something in order to have a good, successful garden. And some of you have brought us produce out of your garden, and I just think, wow, how do you do it? Because I sure didn't succeed. But when Jesus is sitting on his throne, and he is present on planet Earth, something's going to emanate from him, and the soil and the growing seasons are just going to be amazing. And it's going to be a wonderful time. We find that there will be no more depressing darkness and night. You ever notice, if you've ever battled depression, you know that nighttime's the worst. Maybe the worst. If not the worst, then those gloomy, cloudy, cold days can sometimes be just as gloomy. And you just think, you know, I'm already struggling, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression, and then, boy, the weather, the darkness can just make it worse. In the millennium, there's going to be no more depressing darkness in night. Isaiah 60, verse 19, the sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light. And thy God, thy glory, the sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Isn't that a great thing? It's just going to be perfect, the perfect kind of sunshine. And you know, when, when God said, let there be light, you know, he did it before he ever created the sun and the moon and the stars. When Jesus is referred to as the light of the world, that's not just spiritual and moral. The light is going to come from the presence of Jesus Christ. And then Isaiah 30 verse number 26, uh, I'm going to kind of skip that for sake of time, but it says the same thing basically as Isaiah 60. We're going to find that the ecosystem will be healed. All of the things that rampage planet earth during the tribulation period is just going to leave a wake of disaster. The entire globe is just going to look like it was hit with one thing after another, a typhoon, a hurricane, a tornado, a fire, a flood. I mean, it's just going to be ravaged from the tribulation period. But it says in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 8, And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. Listen, according to Ezekiel, this water is going to come out from the throne of God, the throne that Jesus is sitting on. It's going to issue out from under the temple and some of that water. If you'll recall, when Jesus sets foot on planet earth, he's setting foot on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that the Mount of Olives is going to cleave in two from the east to the west. It's going to remove to the north and the south. It's going to create a valley. If you're standing at the east gate of the temple, uh, you're looking over at the Mount of Olives. It's a mountain right now, but it's going to be, it's going to cleave in two and it's going to produce a valley. And from both sides there on Mount Zion, water is going to go. The water on this side is going to flow to the Mediterranean Sea. The water on this side is going to flow over to the Dead Sea. And all of these waters are going to be healed. And when the waters are healed, the rest of planet earth will begin to be healed. Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse number 8. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country. And go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which uh, being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. You know, as a side note, I've heard many preachers teach that when Jesus comes back, that the curse, you know, the curse that came on the earth when Adam sinned there in the garden, many have said that the curse will be lifted. I don't believe that personally. The earth will be greatly blessed because of the physical presence of Christ, but the curse is not lifted And this is the way I see it. I'm not going to argue with people over it. It's not a big deal to me. But I don't see the curse lifted until the earth is destroyed by fire and created brand new. Ezekiel 47 and verse number 11 says, But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. And so these rivers that are ushering forth from the throne Uh, There in Jerusalem, there are some places, geographical places, that will not be healed. The curse is not lifted, but you know what? It's going to be such a thriving place of blessings from the presence of the Lord that it's almost going to appear as if the curse has been lifted. This next point, and I've just got a couple more, if you'll be patient with me this morning. Uh, This next point, I'm not quite sure I know what to think of it. Are you ready for it? Carnivorous diet no longer among the beasts. And I'm not sure about us. Now, just a couple days ago, uh, my wife and I needed to just kind of get away. We've had a lot of stress and pressure here lately. So we took Friday and we just got out of town. We went up to Boone. And uh, we had been recommended by several families here in the church, a steakhouse in Boone. And I sat down there and I ate a ribeye steak. I'm still thinking about it. I could eat another one today and another one tomorrow. Wouldn't so you get tired of that? Well, tomorrow I'll put it on a sandwich. The next day, yeah. There's all kinds of things you can do with steak, amen? And I'd probably never get tired of it. Maybe alternate chicken in there every now and then. A little bit of little bit of pork. Thank God for grace, amen? Slap a little bacon on it. Mm mm mm. I'm gonna torture you and I'm gonna preach another hour. So, uh, Isaiah 11, verse number four, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Sure does sound like Revelation 19. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithful the girdle, faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. That's a poisonous snake if you're not familiar with that word. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Another poisonous critter, if you will. And so you're not going to have to worry about that. The animal kingdom is going to be much different. If you'll recall, as you read your Bible, after the flood, the ecosystem changed greatly. Before the flood, God said, I've given every herb of the field and every tree for to be meat for you. But after the flood, God said, I've given every clean animal to be meat for you. It appears to me that before the flood took place, it was an herbivore diet. I hope I said that right. And then uh, now we're able to be omnivore. We're able to eat meat and uh, produce or vegetables and fruit. It appears to me that if the animals are not eating one another, I haven't found any place per se where it says that we'll be eating meat during that time. So I think it's a possibility. Once again, I'm not sure what to think of it, It's a possibility that we will not be eating meat, but we will be eating fish. I know that for a fact. Talks about the fishers, that river flowing out there that's going toward the east and healing all of the waters, that it's going to get deeper and deeper as you get further away. And it talks about the fishers that are going to be fishing in that river. I like to fish. I went to Alaska one time, and boy, we just had some Fabulous fishing, catching silver salmon all day long about this big. It almost ruined me for any other kind of fishing. I mean, these were, these were nice salmon and you were wading the river and were casting out just like you'd fish in a little trout stream, only our rods were a little bigger, our lures were a little bit bigger and you'd wade out there and you'd, you'd cast upstream and you'd just work that, work that lure down. Boom! And then your rod would be bent over almost double while you fight that salmon in. All day long. I think the fishing's probably going to be like that in the millennium. I like to think so anyways. And we're going to be able to eat fish. When Jesus was in his resurrected body, he ate broiled fish and honeycomb. I don't think it's because he was hungry or he needed to. I think it's just probably something that he likes the taste of. You say, well, what if I don't like broiled fish and honeycomb? Well, I want you to think about this for just a moment. You know, there are... I, I was thinking about this. And um, here here lately, we had my family in town, and uh, we've had just a number of things going on. I had a birthday, and then we had the holidays recently. And you know, uh, my wife has fixed so many good meals here lately um, that some of my old favorite restaurants... I eat the food, and it's like, this stuff's garbage. They didn't go downhill. It's just my, I guess, the taste expectation is just different. Well, I want you to think about this. Whatever your favorite food is in the millennium, it's probably not going to matter. But our taste buds are going to be reprogrammed. And I can promise you this. Whatever we have to eat in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, it's going to be stinking good. Is it okay to say that? I remember when we went to Egypt, and uh, we were there with Brother Runyon, and I remember how the, the produce, the fruits and the vegetables, I mean, they didn't do anything to them. It was just raw produce, and you'd take a bite of it. I mean, you could take a bite of a, a, a broccoli, And I know some of these weird kids over here would rather have broccoli than a Snickers bar, but that's a different message for a different time. But literally, you could take a bite of broccoli and go, wow, that's really good. Take a bite of a carrot. Oh, and they had these figs over there. You just take a bite of that and you go, wow, that is so good. Unbelievable. Something about the soil and the climate, it was especially good. I think that certainly... Things are going to be like that in the millennium. As we close, in conclusion, the circumstances and surroundings during the millennium will be practically perfect. You're not going to be able to gripe about the weather. You're not going to be able to gripe about the government. What will we gripe about? You're not going to be able to gripe about your aches and pains and your health. We're going to have nothing to gripe about. It's going to be a very quiet millennium. Nobody's talking. <laughs> God's like, how come nobody's saying anything? Because well, we don't have anything to gripe about. And that's all we ever did. <laughs> so that, maybe that should be convicting. But human nature will be unchanged. It'll be the same. And you know, there is a lesson for all of us to learn about the end of the millennium. In Revelation 20, in verse number 7, I'd like for you to either look on the screen or look in your, your Bible. It says, when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. A lot of people he's going to deceive. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is not military might. This is deity might. This isn't the angels of heaven. This is God Almighty saying... I don't need a tank or an Apache. I don't need a satellite. I don't need a missile. All I need to do is just think the thought and you're toast. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I want you to think about what God has done in your life. You know, if he has not judged you, and I've already said this, but it doesn't mean that you're getting away with your sin. It just merely means that he's been merciful. We cannot underestimate the deceptive power of Satan. you imagine all of these nations and these multitude of people after experiencing a thousand years of the blessings of Jesus present? I mean, nothing, nothing to complain about. Nothing that Jesus did that wasn't just and perfect and righteous. He made no mistakes in his, in his leadership. The, the economy was perfect, everything, a perfect environment. And still, Satan shows up and he deceives that many people. Once again, circumstances are different, but the human heart is the same. Do not underestimate the power of Satan to influence Our corrupt, Adamic human heart. You know what is lacking today? Is repentance. And repentance is a matter of the human heart. Jeremiah 3.10 And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. Oh, she's just pretending to turn to me. She's just giving it lip service and cheap talk. That's all that Judah's doing. She hasn't turned her heart toward me regardless of what I've done for her, God says. And Jeremiah also said in chapter 29 in verse number 13, this is God speaking to us through Jeremiah, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Salvation and every dispensation comes down to a matter of the heart. It's not our performance. It's not our personality. It's not how we feel. It's have we truly, have we truly trusted Christ from the heart? And one last thing, and I'll close the service this morning. As believers, the Bible says that there is a condition of for us to rule and to reign with Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Timothy 2, verse number 12, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning for a thousand years. Would you like to be part of His kingdom? Would you like to be ruling and reigning with Him? while he is getting the glory that he deserves, then it's dependent upon how we live our lives today. Living a true Christian life does not come without a price, does not come without a cost. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. It's conditional. And I know many, many Christians that are saved are going to be denied this reign with Jesus Christ because we haven't been willing to take up our cross and bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. We wanted to be popular. We wanted people to like us. We wanted people to look well at us and not think that we're weirdos and freaks and part of some kind of a Jesus cult. They wanted they, we we wanted them to think well we're just like them and so we participate in all of the things that they that they tempt us to participate in. Why? Because we haven't been willing to suffer with Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, the heart matter, it comes to, what do I think about Jesus Christ? We can choose our sin, we can choose our friends, we can choose the world, but you can't choose those things and choose Jesus at the same time because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways.